Well, the way you discover the optimal balance point is... Welcome to the Primer Blueprint Podcast. You say, okay, I think I'm pretty good at burning fat. From our studios in Malibu, California. Let me skip a meal once in a while and see if it affects me. Hi, it's Brad Kearns back here in the Malibu Primal Blueprint studio for another Mark Sisson podcast. Thanks for coming, Mark. Always a pleasure. Well, how about we talk about where you stand right now with this, uh, the, the burgeoning Primal Paleo movement is so big now that it's sort of branched out into, I guess you'd call them various factions, sometimes arguing about the particulars and the details now that they've got the basics down. So I thought we'd talk about some of your dietary practices and where you stand with the various hot button topics. Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm open to all uh, manner of, of eating styles. I mean, that's the basic premise and, and underlying foundation of paleo and primal is this sort of uh, fractal eating and the concept of um, there is no particular time that we should be eating or no particular schedule up upon which we should be eating. And then having said that, I have my own schedule, which is uh, I'm currently on a, on a compressed eating window. So Typically, I eat between 1 p.m. and 7 p.m., uh, and that means I'll have a, uh, a reasonably uh, good-sized lunch, uh, probably a, a snack in the afternoon, typically macadamia nuts or something like that, and then an enjoyable evening meal, typically, again, a piece of uh, red meat or fish with grilled vegetables, glass of wine, uh, and then I don't eat again till 1 o'clock the next day. Now, I do have a cup of coffee. I don't do bulletproof coffee. I do regular coffee, black coffee with a little bit of cream because uh, I like to chew my calories. And um, the coffee is, in my case, um, a little bit of a ergogenic aid, but mostly it's just to, you know, it's just because I enjoy the taste of coffee and I like a cup while I'm reading the paper in the morning. I can give you the argument that the coffee does help mobilize free fatty acids so that when I'm on my way to the gym, uh, two hours later, that I'm I'm already in a full fat burning mode. But I think I'm in that fat burning mode anyway, just because that's how I've trained my body. So I wake up in the morning. I'm not hungry for breakfast. And people who say breakfast is the most important meal of the day, well, if you're wickedly starving, then it's probably the most important meal of the day. But a morning meal for me, uh, I have zero interest in it. I never liked breakfast. I always sort of had to force myself to, to eat breakfast. Uh, I'm good at burning fat, so I wake up in full energy mode. And when I go to the gym, typically at uh, 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning, or I go on a hike or I go for a paddle, I do so fasted. And my strategy is to uh, is to work out as hard as I can fasted and then finish the workout and not eat for another hour or two afterwards. The idea there is that there are two different pathways that you can take post-workout. The old pathway, which um, I... I ascribed to for 20 years, which was, you know, when you finish doing a hard workout, you've burned up all this glycogen, you have a 45-minute, we used to call it window of opportunity in which to resynthesize glycogen most efficiently. So you would slam down 50 or 100 grams of carbohydrate after a meal or after a workout, excuse me. And uh, that would then prepare you to do a hard workout the next day. Well, the first thing that I've... Uh, adjusted in my schedules, I don't work out hard every day. So I don't need to replenish glycogen on a daily basis. I use my low-carb eating strategy and sometimes ketogenic eating strategy to allow glycogen to replenish itself just normally uh, through gluconeogenesis and through you know, other um, uh, metabolic windows 
of opportunity that I've sought for myself. So again, two choices when you finish a workout. One is to replenish glycogen so that you can go hard again the next day and go glycolytic the next day, If particularly if you're a sugar burner, you have to do that. But the other choice, and almost diametrically opposed to that, is to say, okay, I've used the workout, the hard workout, particularly in, in doing weights, like on a hard leg day, to um, increase human growth hormone and testosterone pulses. So I want to maximize that because that's why I worked out so hard. And my consuming a high calorie, particularly a high carbohydrate beverage after my workout raises insulin and insulin blunts human growth hormone and testosterone release. So you you have a choice here. Do I want to replenish glycogen reserves so that I can work hard tomorrow? Or do I want to maximize my workout that I just did today by building muscle and and, and not have to think about, oh my God, I got to get up and do this hard again tomorrow as well. Uh, and that's sort of the, that those are the two choices. And again, as an endurance athlete, I used to always have to replenish glycogen. And I also, and I always had it hanging over my head that, all right, now I've just re- replenished glycogen. Now I have to go train hard again tomorrow. Those days are long gone. I'm not interested in that anymore. I'm interested in how can I be long, lean, strong, fit, happy, healthy, productive, all those things I want with the least amount of hard work and discipline and sacrifice. In other words, what are the hacks that I can do to um, achieve uh, a healthy body composition, to be able to be strong and play whatever sports I want to play at my best possible level and not get injured? And some of the incidental benefits of that when you're cutting back on your carbohydrate consumption and you're not promoting inflammation as much with these workouts because you have a more efficient fuel source. There are so many benefits to this style of eating, and particularly as an athlete or, or someone who's even – I don't consider myself an athlete anymore, but I am still you know, sort of train. And when I play Ultimate Frisbee, I consider myself an athlete. Or when I'm out paddling hard for two hours, I guess you'd call me an athlete. But, the, but you're right. One of the side benefits is by cutting back on these pro-inflammatory foods, uh, many of which – were uh, you know part of the standard carbo loading dietary program. Uh, if it's high in in carbs, it's probably high in uh, whole grains and other uh, pre-inflammatory food groups. So when you cut those out, the inflammation tends to subside. You tend to recover from workouts a little bit easier. You don't have the delayed onset muscle soreness, and so there are a lot of those benefits. But beyond those benefits, uh, for me. I'm able to I'm able to burn stored body fat just as a matter of living. When you become good at, at at burning stored body fat, and when you start engaging in this type of intermittent fasting, what I would call a compressed eating window, uh, one of the things that happens is your body, which has become go, so good at burning fat, now doesn't really even know whether the 500 calories that you just burned came off a plate of scrambled eggs with bacon or whether it came off your hips or your butt, or your thighs, or your stomach. So that's a, a, a beautiful thing about this, uh, this style of eating and this ability to, to, to be good at accessing stored body fat. Another thing that happens, which um, I found perhaps most fascinating, is that hunger regulates. The appetite regulates itself. So you don't get, as, you, you don't get the cravings that, uh, or I don't get the cravings that I once used to get. And so even if I've gone 18 hours without eating any food, I'm not ravenous. I'm not, you know, shoveling forkfuls of food down my gullet just because I haven't eaten for so long. I'm very comfortable just having a, a nice, a nice meal, uh, pushing the plate away when I'm no longer hungry for the next bite. Now, with this skill, and a lot of people are doing intermittent fasting now on a on a planned 
regular basis. Some people, I know many people who will say, take one day a week mm -hmm. and they won't eat from dinner one night until dinner the next night or even breakfast the following day, so 36 hours. Uh, and they do that, again, as part of a, a longevity strategy because on the one hand, they're also uh, good at burning body fat. So they're, there's a period of time where there's 1,600 calories that are coming off their stored body fat rather than coming from an, an exogenous supply of food. But the other thing that happens when you go that long without eating is that the, uh, it's been proven that there's a, a repair and res restoration that takes place at the cellular level. So when the, when the genes get the sense that there's not going to be any food around, particularly glucose, for the next a period of time, they rather than uh, going into this period of surplus where, where the cells go, hey, there's plenty of food for everybody, let's just, let's just divide and let's procreate and let's you know, make more of us. Uh, they tend to retrench and they come back and they go, well, there's not enough resources clearly for this one cell, let alone if I divide and become two cells. So why don't I take a look at some of the um, damaged proteins or the damaged fats that are, re that are residing inside the cell and why don't I consume those? So there's a, there's a consumption of damaged proteins and fats. There's a repair of certain uh, elements of DNA or, or genetic repair that takes place that could be considered uh, you know, an anti-aging strategy for a lot of people. That's why a lot of people will choose to do intermittent fasting on a regular basis. So it sounds like there could be a balance point here where, hey, I want to get bigger, stronger, faster, fitter. I want to recover from my workouts and do one two days later because Mark Sisson said don't do one the next day. But you have to eat and get good quality fuel for that. However, you also have these benefits on the other side of getting good at fasting. So is there a way to discover that optimal balance point for the individual? Well, the way you discover the optimal balance point is by experimenting. And if you say, okay, I think I'm pretty good at burning fat, let me skip a meal once in a while and see if it affects me. And if you can skip a meal and it doesn't affect you, if you don't get lightheaded, if you don't feel cranky or moody or feel like taking a nap. And, um, you know, for me, it was the revelation that I would look up from writing having been on a writing jag for hours and hours and hours and look up and go, oh my goodness, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I haven't eaten all day. How come I didn't notice? You know, I was just so busy doing my work and I was so focused and I, my, my brain was working fine. So th there is that um, initial stage of just kind of trying it out. Skip a meal here or there and see if, if there's no ill effects, then you are probably becoming good at burning fats. The next strategy would be to say, okay, do I need breakfast? When I wake up in the morning, is that something that I'm willing to forego for a couple of hours and see what happens there. All of these things happen through trial and error, and some people simply cannot skip a meal. And for those people, I say, don't force yourself. Don't skip a meal. But if you become good at burning fat and if you, are, if you embrace this kind of strategy, then, then that's where the experiment of one comes into play. And that's where some people say, you know what, I think I'll see what happens if I go from lunch today until breakfast tomorrow morning for instance, and see if I can skip the evening meal. And uh, over time, you get good at it, and you realize you're not going to die. You realize that unlike 10,000 years ago, uh, there is food at your beck and call whenever you feel like you need to. Uh, in the original Primal Blueprint 21-Day Total Body Transformation, I tell people, look, this is going to be, for a lot of people, it's going to be difficult to become a fat-burning beast, to cut the carbs back, to get rid of the sugars and the grains, and the cookies and the crackers and the desserts and all the things that you thought were part of a normal functioning, you know, healthy lifestyle, but are not. Uh, when you cut back on those, there's going to be a time at which your brain is going to say, hey, dude, where's the sugar? And to get through that period of time, 
just surround yourself with the healthy kind of snacks that we talk about, beef jerky or macadamia nuts or some form of healthy snacks to take the edge off. But do not force yourself to go hungry. It'll happen. At some point, your metabolism will kick in. You'll become good at burning fat. You'll decrease your dependency on sugar. Your appetite will regulate itself. Your cravings will decrease. And you'll get to the point where you become very comfortable with these sort of intuitive uh, eating strategies. Like for me, uh, if I true intermittent fasting, I eating in a compressed eating window, you know, not eating for 18 hours isn't even what I would call intermittent fasting. But for me, it's like okay, waking up one morning and going, okay, I got to fly to New York. They're not going to serve any great food on the plane. Um, I'm not going to live on peanuts and pretzels. So I'll just I'll be okay with not eating for the next 12 hours. So I had dinner the night before. I wake up, I go to the airport, and the next meal I have is dinner that evening in New York. But you can be damn sure it's going to be a ribeye steak with a you know a bowl of sautéed mushrooms and some broccolini and a glass of claret. So you possibly do increase your enjoyment of food when you're not using it for fuel in the gas tank in the carbohydrate paradigm. Oh yeah, I mean I, I again I I enjoy every bite of food. I ever eat. I make sure I do that. So I don't, on the one hand, I don't choke down nasty stuff just because it's, it's been explained that it's supposed to be good for me. You know, there are some foods that, uh, that are on the primal list of approved foods that I, that I won't eat, but that's fine. I mean, I just, I pick, I, I make sure that I eat, you know, tasty, healthy meals all the time and I enjoy every bite. It sounds like it could be a good weight loss strategy to just transition over to an enjoyment mentality rather than a calorie counting or balancing calories in, calories out. Yeah, it is. But let's be clear that that's also a skill that's developed. So some people who have a very strong emotional attachment to food, for whom uh, food has been the go-to bomb and and salve and, and, uh, you know, uh, shoulder to cry on. There are people who are going to have a very difficult time getting into a mindset where the, the the idea that every bite of food, you know, ought to be enjoyed for its its sensory input and its taste and its smell and the mouthfeel, and that to the extent that you finish a plate and you you push the plate away or that you say I'm not hungry for the next bite and are okay with leaving a half a plate full of food because you are no longer hungry for the next bite, those are the kinds of skills that we ultimately develop. Uh, but, you, you know, you have to get rid of the cravings first. You have to get rid of this sugar-burning mentality. There's a lot of hurdles that we have to overcome before we can even get to that point where f- food, just for the sake of, uh, of the enjoyment of the food and not because it's a, an emotional crutch or not because you craved it or not because uh, you were told that you had to finish everything on your plate or you weren't a good little boy or girl. Those are all, it's almost what we call, you know, Primal 2.0 and Primal 3.0, these, the, the next emotional attachments that we have. I remember you were talking to some folks at Primal Con Tahoe specifically about the fasting in conjunction with the intense exercise and how do I go about this? How do I start it? How do I know how long to wait? Um, and I, I believe you said when you're hungry after the workout, you can eat. And it might be right away. It might be three hours. Yeah, it's, there's, there's not a lot of magic to that. And... Uh, you know, back to uh, something I'd said earlier about uh, post-workout meals and your intention. Uh, if your intention is to replenish glycogen and if you're really starving after a, a hard workout, then go ahead and eat. If you're not hungry after a workout, 
then there's no particular reason that you need to eat. That's the bottom line, is, it, is that there's no uh, scientific compelling reason that you must go consume something if you're not hungry or else you'll you know, go into cannibal mode and start uh, ripping through your precious muscle tissue. That just isn't going to happen. Your body is pretty good with its cues and clues. If you're not hungry after a workout, you don't need to eat. So if you're stuck in the carb paradigm and the chronic exercise paradigm, you're probably going to notice you're hungry when you wake up, you're hungry after workouts, you're hungry all the time. Well, yeah, because your, your brain is dependent so much on, on glucose, and you can only hold so much glucose in your body. It's not very much. It's just a couple hundred grams. And if you're a really intense sugar burner and you're going through that by virtue of just having a, a, a tough physical labor job, for instance, or you're, you're training hard, Unless you've become good at burning fat, you're just going to rip through that carbohydrate, that, that glycogen reserve, every couple of hours, which is why the old mantra among trainers for the last two decades was, you know, eat five or six small meals a day, two to three hours apiece, uh, a little bit of protein, and a fair amount of carbohydrate at each meal. That was intended to keep your blood sugar up and to spare your muscle tissue from being cannibalized. And that is what happens if you are a sugar burner. You will encounter that same set of metabolic circumstances. But when you become good at burning fat, all of that changes. Uh, and, and your go-to fallback position is always the body fat. And I've been told that I have pretty low body fat. But you know what? I still have enough body fat to probably walk 300 miles. So the, the human body is pretty remarkable in its capacity to, to store and to access fat as a fuel. So I guess the starting point is that 21-day transformation of restricting carb intake to become a fat-burning beast, and then you open yourself up to these possibilities like your compressed eating window or the fasting in conjunction with intense exercise. Or a carb refeed or whatever other experiment that you want to undertake but you still kind of have to, to go through that 21-day transition, I say, in order to really get a, a good you know, starting point to, from which to experiment further. Thanks for being here, Mark, and thanks for listening to Mark Sisson. We'll talk to you next time. Have a great day. Thank you for listening, and we hope you can join us at PrimalCon Tulum, March 1st through 6th, 2014, at the fabulous Dreams Tulum five-star resort on the Mexican Riviera. Please visit primalblueprint.com and you'll see complete details under the events tab and including description of each day on the vacation and all the various room options at the resort.